from sentences 31 through to 39. I'll give you a chance to turn there. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 8 uh, from sentences 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, not also along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Dom. Welcome. Uh, My name is Pete, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of our church. I usually would start a talk like this by trying to convince you that the question is relevant to you. So on a talk like, where can I find peace in an anxious world? My first job in uh, this kind of thing, public speaking, would be to try and convince you that we live in an anxious world and that even if you feel totally fine today, you ought to be at least a little bit anxious. That's what I would usually try to do in my introduction. Now, of course, I don't have to do that, do I? Because what kind of a year has 2020 been? I could not have foreseen when we set this question at the end of last year that I would have to do zero convincing that this is a world that deserves at least some level of anxiety. So I found this meme uh, just this week. All right? Okay, I don't know if you can see it. The type's pretty small, but uh, you got this guy in tears. But look above him. It says, 2020 so far. Number one, tension between U.S. and Iran. Number two, Australia wildfires. Number three, Philippines volcanic eruption. Number four, coronavirus. Number five, and today we lost Kobe Bryant. It's been a hard year. And that's not even everything, right? That doesn't include um, floods in Indonesia, earthquakes in Turkey, and I didn't even hear about this, but in Puerto Rico. And perhaps after this week or these few days, we might even have floods in our own backyard that's going to cause some devastation. This has been a pretty tough year. Anxiety-ridden year. And it's been so bad that I read an article written by a psychologist about how to overcome anxiety. Um, She was particularly writing about the coronavirus and people feeling nervous and anxious about that. So she wrote this article about how to overcome anxiety in the midst of fears. And really, the article's a lot of, you know, okay stuff, nothing really insightful. But she ends the article almost with a sort of, well, if nothing else helps, why don't you click on this link? So that's what I did. I clicked on the link. If nothing else helps, click on this link. I clicked on the link, and this is what I heard. Dinosaurs eating people. Dinosaurs in love. Have you guys heard that song? Basically, her message is, look, it may not help, but here's a cute four-year-old singing about dinosaurs. And hope that makes you feel better. 
In some ways, that is the kind of thing that we have to settle for sometimes, isn't it? I don't know what you talked about when you said to each other, asked each other, where do people usually find peace in an anxious world? Is it something as shallow as, well, here's some good advice, but in case the good advice doesn't work, listen to a cute song about dinosaurs to cheer yourself up or distract yourselves with Netflix or YouTube. Well, I want to say to you today that God has a better kind of peace on offer. He really does. It's the kind of peace that Dom read about earlier in that passage that that hopefully you've still got in front of you because we'll actually look at it a couple more times. And if you're here today looking for the answers to where is peace in an anxious world, I'm going to really ask you have an open mind because maybe God is going to offer you something today. So I'm going to pray. Um, Will you join me as I ask God to help us hear Him because I believe it's not just me talking to you today that actually God wants to talk to you. So I'm going to pray that God will do that. Why don't you join me in prayer just for a quick one. Uh, Dear God, you want people to know you. And even if people sitting here aren't sure if you're there, you are real. And I pray that you would show yourself to be real to them. Because today you want people to meet you. You want people to find peace. You want people to have their anxieties and their fears um, come under your love for them so that they are no longer scary, no longer fearful. And I pray that you would, through me, reveal yourself. Amen. All right, now before we look at what God has on offer in terms of peace, I want to look at sort of the thing you talked about before, okay? Where do people usually find peace when there's an anxious world? So um, on the inside of the handouts you got when you came in, I've got three points followed if it helps you. But you'll see that um, each point starts with an F. So the first point I want to start with is or fragile peace. That is, when we look in how people look for peace, they generally look two places, facts and feelings, but it's fragile. And then we're going to turn to what the Bible points us to as, hopefully I'll argue, a firm peace and not fragile peace. And then we'll finish off by looking at how you might be able to find it. Okay, so let's go. Point number one. Now, a lot of good and helpful advice when it comes to anxiety in general as well as with those with particular anxiety disorders in particular, they'll say, look, when, when you're feeling anxious, it's important to know the facts, right? When, when your subjective feelings inside are just overwhelming, look on the outside, look at the objective truths. And now given how prevalent anxiety disorders are, you need to know one in four Australians at some point in their lives will suffer from some bout of anxiety disorder, And that's people here, right? This is actually quite important advice. It's important because facts actually do give us a perspective to help us not let the worries and the self-talk overwhelm us. And so if you know anything about a, a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, that's really essentially about seeing facts and let the mind, let, let what you know to be true, speak louder than your feelings, right? Facts over feelings. And so, you know, with the coronavirus thing, it's actually important to, you know, get some facts, perhaps. So there's some myths about coronavirus, that it's the most dangerous virus that exists. That's a myth, because the common flu kills 60 times more people annually than corona. A myth that I will die if I'm diagnosed with it? Well, no, 2% of cases have reported deaths. And in fact, I've just read there's, more, there's been twice as many people who've recovered from coronavirus as those who've died from coronavirus. So people are recovering, and quite a lot of them. 
Um, thirdly, I need to buy a hazmat suit and an N95 mask to stay protected. No, washing hands and sneezing into elbows is the best practice. Now, that's helpful, isn't it? Like, if you're overwhelmed with paranoia and panic, well, let's get some facts right. Don't panic. We're not at that stage yet. It's okay. So that's one way that we can fight, um, we can fight the, 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 the feelings that sometimes overwhelm us of our anxiety. But here's the thing, though. Just relying on facts over feelings, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So, you know, some facts are great like that, but what if, what if the facts are worse than you realize? You might know the, the, the story of the, the Titanic, right? Um, and if you know anything about it, when the Titanic hit an iceberg, you know, people were still pretty calm. They were still enjoying themselves until they realized and it was be- began to circulate the facts of the issue that this ship was not only in, not indestructible, it was going down and pretty quickly. Also, you've got about an hour to get on a lifeboat and there are not going to be enough lifeboats. Like, that was the fact, all right? So some people felt completely calm until the facts came and then it was all panic because sometimes the facts are worse than you realize. Or for example, climate change. And no matter how you feel about climate change, I think this year we've probably felt more anxious about it because of the, the, you know, the bushfires and the drought and all that kind of stuff. But really, the science has been clear for, for more than a decade that it's pretty bad and things are not going to look good and things are going to get worse. And even if we make changes now, it's still going to get bad, right? Those are the facts. That doesn't give you peace, does it? The facts actually make it worse. Or let's say coronavirus facts. Let's just, I mean, for one thing, this thing is changing all the time, right? So there could be more facts that we find out in the next days or weeks that it's much worse than we think. But even let's just take a surface value, what, what we've seen there. So coronavirus is not the worst virus. The common flu kills more people, Right? In fact, the common flu every year worldwide kills up to 650,000 people. Did you know that? Just the common flu, 650,000 people annually. Now that fact, I don't know about you, it makes me feel better about coronavirus, but it makes me a little bit more worried about the common flu, doesn't it? I'm like, wow, over half a million people die every year. Now I'm not just worried about coronavirus now, I'm going to be worried every single winter when the flu virus is. You see what I mean? Facts is a double-edged sword. The other thing about facts is this, facts are cold. Cold, hard science may seem to you, well, we just believe in cold, hard science because that'll give us peace. Well, actually, cold, hard science doesn't tell you one way or the other. In fact, sometimes cold, hard science makes you feel less peace. You see, if you, for example, believed in a closed universe. A closed universe is someone who doesn't believe there is any God, any spirituality, there's nothing supernatural, everything is what you see is what you get. The material universe, what you can see, touch, test, the scientific world is all there is. It's the atheist worldview. Now, if that's your worldview, it's a closed universe, and all you've got are cold, hard scientific facts, I suggest to you that Whatever peace you get from that is also pretty fragile. Let me show you a quote from probably the world's, one of the world's most famous atheists, um, a scientist called Richard Dawkins. Look what he says. He says, and this is what he believes, in a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe 
has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Do you see what he's saying? This famous atheist? The cold, hard facts of the universe, if this is all there is, means that if you're going through a bad lot, if you're suffering, if you're anxious, just live with it. Suck it up, because this is all it is. This is what science gives us. Or um, his friend who has passed away from cancer, a guy called Christopher Hitchens, another fellow atheist, when he was diagnosed with cancer, this is what Hitchens said. Hitchens said, To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? Right? That's the atheist worldview. If you're wondering why it's happened to you, why... Your property's burnt down in the fires. Why is the drought affecting your livelihood? Why is coronavirus keeping you locked up in quarantine? Hitchens, Dawkins, the closed universe worldview will just say, why not? That's the cold hard facts. But that's not very comforting, is it? That doesn't necessarily give you peace. Or whatever peace it gives you is, can be pretty fragile. Here's the truth. If you're a facts-leaning person, we are more than just brains, aren't we? We are more than just intellects. The objective facts can help, absolutely can help, but not on their own. And feelings are powerful. I reckon if you're a facts-only person, and I tend to lean towards that because I'm more of a facts person than a feelings person, but if you're a facts-only person, you should always have a niggling doubt in your, in, your, in your position. You should always be at the back of your mind be wondering, those of you, those who you think are just being overly pessimistic or worrywart or paranoid, you should always be wondering, what if they're right? You know, I look at some of the panic that some people are with this whole coronavirus scare. You know, they're like shut up in their, no one's got the virus as far as they know, but they're shut up in their house. They wear masks everywhere. Um, and I just kind of think, oh, seriously, you're just being a little bit paranoid. But what if they're right? There should always be a niggling doubt in your head that maybe those with the strong feelings may turn out to be right if you're a facts-only person, yeah? So facts as a basis for peace is pretty fragile. Well, what about the other end? What about feelings? Now, if you're a feelings person, then you'll be thinking, no, 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 it's not what goes on out there that really should give us peace. It's what happens in here. So you prioritize inner peace. Even if the world is falling apart, I can still experience and cultivate peace from the inside out. Then maybe you believe that. And there's something really attractive about that. And there's something actually true about that as well. Um, a lot of Eastern religions and spiritualities, a lot of self-help goes in that direction. So let me show you um, four steps to peace uh, according to Zen Buddhism. Four steps to peace. Number one, sit and meditate. Number two, be mindful of the present. Right? Get rid of all the distractions. Just think about the now. Don't get too worried about everything else. Number three, cultivate compassion in the way you deal with people, in the way you think of people. And then number four, find happiness from within. Right? Because peace and happiness and Zen comes from within. Now, that can be very helpful. If you've ever tried, right, in a, in a difficult situation when you're overcome by worry, to actually do some of this stuff, right? Meditate, be mindful, cultivate compassion, find happiness. It actually is good. It is actually beneficial. But is that on its own the answer? 
Well, I can't help but see that maybe that's a little bit fragile as well. I mean, just think, in, over the last couple of months, the many, many thousands, tens of thousands of Australians who have lost everything in the bushfires, like in, entire towns that have been raised by the fires, as in raised, R-A-Z-E-D, right? Not, you know, raised up, but destroyed by the fires that rely on tourism, but these towns won't be rebuilt for years because every single shop has been burnt out. A town like Mogo, if you know it. And that's coupled with the droughts. That if you live in those regions and you rely on the land, well, it's decimated your livelihood. Okay, this is real. This has happened to tens of thousands of Australians. I can't help but think that the advice to them, you know what, you just need to sit and meditate and find inner peace. That seems a little insensitive and probably a bit naive, doesn't it? If you've lost everything and you don't know how next year is going to pan out because you have no livelihood anymore, I mean, sitting and meditating and finding happiness from within can maybe help when you're overcome by the anxiety of the now, but it doesn't change your situation, right? You're still going to have to face these problems. And if I gave you that advice and you've lost everything, it seems a little bit insensitive. But the other thing is this, this feelings-only approach can be an excuse. It can be an excuse to do nothing when there is a crisis. Like the don't worry, be happy advice, let's admit, in the face of climate change, is actually morally irresponsible, isn't it? And in fact, if you know anything about that uh, young girl Greta Thunberg, you know, mobilizing kids, Mobilizing kids essentially to be angry and worked up about what's going to happen to the, your generation, their generation, because of the facts of climate change. It, it's all based on the, the truth that, well, there's been too much sitting around pretending that nothing's happened. Our feelings of don't worry, be happy, everything will work out. It's actually affected them. And the feelings have just made my generation and the generations above do nothing in the face of facts and crisis, all right? So feelings can lead us to inaction and can be an excuse when something does need to be done in light of the facts. So what am I saying? A feelings-oriented approach to finding peace, it works to a certain degree, but like the facts approach, it's also fragile. So where to? Right, where to? I mean, what is a better, less fragile, firmer place to find peace in an anxious world? Well, as I said earlier, that part of the Bible that Dom read out, Romans chapter 8, that gives us a clue. By the way, it's, it's, it's part of the Bible, but the Bible, you see, is a historical document written over 1,500 years right, by 40 different authors. It's a collection of books in three languages over three continents. Right? It's written, it's historical. Now, this part of the Bible, Romans, is a letter written by a real man. His name is St. Paul, or Paul. And he writes to Christians in ancient Rome. So it's a letter to the Christians in Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And he wrote it in the first century AD. And so I want to say to you, even if you don't believe the Bible is something sacred like God's Word, at least see it as an early Christian's account of how Christians think about life, okay? Just see it as a window into history of how an early Christian, what he says about what Christians base their peace on. Now, that's all I need you to believe at this point. 
So have a look again at these key verses. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Do you hear the conviction of these words? Do you hear it? Do you feel the power of this peace? Again, just, just, just for a moment, see it as one person's perspective on what Christians believe. Do you, do, do you feel that? That this person is writing about a, a really powerful peace. Even if you don't believe what he believes, isn't this something attractive? Isn't this something that would be good to have? See, this is a window into what followers of Jesus believe peace comes from what it's based on. And my aim today is to get you to consider it with an open mind. And I want to say the key to this whole bit about peace in an anxious world is in that very last sentence. In the very last sentence, the basis for the follower of Jesus' kind of peace, the Christian's kind of peace, is that sentence, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, why is that an important sentence? It's an important sentence because it touches both on facts and feelings. All right? It touches both on facts and feelings. It's not facts only, it's not feelings only, but it brings them together and puts them on an even better foundation than what we've talked about so far in in point one. See, the first half of that sentence, the love of God, touches on feelings. But the second half of the sentence, in Christ Jesus our Lord, touches on facts. And Christian peace is real and firm because it brings it together. So what we're going to do is we'll look at them one by one. We're going to do it in reverse order. Let's look at the facts first, and then we'll look at the feelings of that sentence. So, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, for for the follower of Jesus, peace in an anxious world is grounded on objective truths. Things that really did happen. A person who really existed in history. And these claims can be verified, all right? Christianity is very different to a lot of other religions in the world. Now, a lot of religions don't need history to be verified. But for the Christian faith, if history proves these things are untrue, the whole thing collapses. So you need to know that Jesus of Nazareth really existed. And in fact, his existence is not contested by academics in ancient history departments all over the world. Whether they're Christian, and a lot of them are not even Christian, they may be atheists, agnostic, they will not contest the fact that there was a real person in history called Jesus of Nazareth, right? If you disagree, you can ask me about that later on, but that's pretty much the consensus. He existed. But more than he exists, there are other things that you can test. And that's the the thing about Christianity. You can test really key claims. Did these things really happen? Did Jesus say these things? Is he who he claims and his followers claim he is? These are all testable, objective facts that are testable. So let me give you a list of things that are relevant to us about Jesus that the Bible claims, and every single one of them you can test whether they're true or not. The first claim, Jesus came into the world claiming to be God, Right? God actually become a man, and he claims that he is this broken world's rightful ruler and king. That's the first important truth claim of Christianity. 
the second important truth claim. Jesus lived and loved as God would have lived and loved. As you read about how he interacted and the historical biographies of his life, he really was someone very different. The way he lived reflected the kind of things that people believe that God was like. Number three, Jesus faced and conquered anxiety and fear with power and peace. It happened multiple times in his life. Even accounts of miracles where, for example, he was in a boat with his disciples. They were about to be overwhelmed by a storm and he overcame that storm by performing a miracle. Now, you may not believe in miracles, but the biographers of Jesus certainly believe that that's what happened. And they put that claim out there. You can test that. Number four, Jesus died as an innocent man in the place of the guilty. Again, that's a key claim of Christianity and a testable claim. And number five, Jesus rose again and is alive today. Perhaps the most controversial one, right? But that is what Christians and Jesus said he would do and what early Christians said actually happened. The tomb was empty three days later. He really rose again. Now again, these are testable. I won't be able to test them all today with you and convince you they're true. I just want to put them out there just to say these are the bases for Christianity and Christian facts. Because if, I know some of you may not believe in this, that's fine. There's other opportunities for us to help you investigate. But if these are true, just for a moment, pretend they they are true, right? A couple of really important things flow out of it, and that's points number six and seven. And this has everything to do with peace. Because Christians believe those objective five things are true, look at number six. Then Jesus promises to be with his people. He promises to work everything for their ultimate good and to give them peace. Do you see? If those first five things are true about Jesus, then it stands to reason when Jesus says, I will never leave you because I'm alive. I will never forsake you. I will do everything for your good, even in your suffering. And I will give you a peace that passes your understanding that point six could be true if points one to five are true. Do you see what I mean? And number seven, the other thing that Christians claim, the Bible claims, Jesus claims that he will return as the broken world's rightful ruler and king to completely fix all that is wrong with it. Those are the objective facts that give Christians peace. And as I said, I am not going to be able to convince you in this talk, in the next few minutes, that these are true historically and believable. That's not my job today. But that is something we are going to be looking at at Fresh. So can I just say, come along to Fresh. That's the environment you want to discuss it, ask questions. It's all about that. We're going to look at history. We're going to look at testimony from um, historians, people working in universities and what they say about Jesus. All, All I'm trying to establish now here is that Christianity, unlike a lot of other religions, it actually does stand or fall on facts, or at least claims about truth, objectively claims about facts. If you show that these are false, historically, Christianity becomes false. And no matter how peaceful you might feel, it's resting on lies and those feelings are lying to you. Because Christianity is based on truth, objective truth claims. All right, that's the first thing. What about the second? Remember, it's not just facts, it's feelings as well. So let's go to the first half of that sentence. The love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first part, the love of God. You see, at the heart of this passage, Romans chapter 8, is love. Is love. The, 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 the conviction that you read in these verses, that you hear in these verses, the peace that comes out of an anxious world, it comes 
because a Christian person is convinced that God loves them. If you have your Bible still open, um, uh, verse 35 or sentence 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Sentence 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then verse 39, nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see that the theme of this whole thing, the conviction of peace, all comes from the love of God. Those facts I told you about Jesus, they're all motivated out of love. I mean, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus live the life he lived? Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus rise again? The Bible says it's because of God's love. That love motivated God to do everything. Look earlier on, on sentence 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's talking about the love of God, giving up Jesus, his only son for us. You see, here's the Bible storyline. The Bible storyline is this, that there is this brokenness inside of me and inside of you, and there's a brokenness outside of me and outside of you in our world that is so severe that it would take God, our Creator, to come into the world as Jesus to die in our place in order that the brokenness might be healed. That is the basic storyline of the Bible, of why God did everything He did through Jesus to fix our brokenness by becoming a substitute to die in our place on the cross to heal it. Now again, there's so much more that could be said there, and I want you to invite you to come back next week and the week after because we're going to look at those things a little bit more and come back to fresh because we're going to explore that and get to Q&A and all that kind of stuff. All right? But you see, Christians believe that there is no love like the love of God. And if you experience this love, it not only will give you peace in an anxiety-ridden world, it will change everything. But I want you to know that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you, see it's, it, you can see why love might actually bring peace, right? I mean, that, that's, I think a lot of us experience that. That, the, the, that being loved can bring peace even in anxiety. I mean, you think, uh, I've got four kids, and when they're young especially, it doesn't matter what's happening, if they are cradled in your arms and they know that mum and dad love them, that is all the peace they need in a crisis, isn't it? Right? Being loved by someone being held by someone, that is a tremendous source of peace. Now, that's what Christians believe God's love is like. God, who is the creator, who is the father of us all in some way, can give you an experience of his love that is like being cradled by a parent in the midst of crisis. But see, God's love goes a step beyond that. Because remember, God's love isn't just feelings. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, it is a subjective experience that can conquer your inner fears. But again, if that was all it is, it's just a lie. But because it is grounded on objective, testable truths, you can bank your life on it. I mean, for example, the, that parent image of a calming the child in the midst of crisis, well, the parent can only do so much because if that parent is calming the child in the midst of a building that is burning all around them, the parent cannot guarantee that everything will be okay. The child might be feeling better, but the objective fact or power to change the objective fact is not there. Right? And while that's comforting to a certain degree, it doesn't really change the situation. But you see, the love of God in Christ 
really conquers all. Because it's grounded on objective facts about Jesus, again, which I invite you to investigate and test. I mean, just look at these verses. It says that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Why is that the case? Why can none of these things separate us from God's love? Not just because of the feeling, it's because of the fact that it is in Christ Jesus. Let me join some dots for you. Remember those things we believe, Christians believe about Jesus, objective facts. Remember the fact that he died and rose again from the dead. Well, because that's true, of course death and life can't separate us from the love of God, right? Because Jesus died and rose again. And because in, the, in dying on the cross, the Bible says he disarmed the accusation and the power of Satan, the enemy. So, of course, no angels or demons can separate us from the love of God. And because we believe that on the cross, Jesus went to the depths of hell, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it, and he took our place, and then he rose again to the heights of heaven, so, of course, neither height nor depth can separate us from the love of God. And because we believe that fact Jesus is now the risen Lord of all creation, so, of course, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Do you see what I mean? Because the love of God is not just feelings, but resting on facts, and it brings it all together, then if God loves you, then He is for you. And as this passage said, as God is for you, who can be against you? There is nothing more important to having peace in an anxious world than to know that you are loved by the Creator and Ruler of this world, and that nothing can separate you from His love. That's the key. That's what's on offer today. And so let me go to my final point. If there's one good thing, I think, that comes out of anxiety and fear, that's a horrible feeling, especially if you suffer from any sort of anxiety disorder, I'll tell you one good thing that comes out of it is that it is very revealing. When you go through anxiety and fear, it reveals. It reveals what you value. It reveals what you cherish above everything else. Because you're never going to be anxious about something you don't cherish or fear losing, Right? You're only going to be anxious about the things that you value, that you fear losing. So if you value and cherish money, material things, well, your hope, your peace will be easily dashed when those things go up in smoke. If you value relationships and family, they're great things to value, by the way, but if all your hope is in them and you cherish them above all, well, your peace will also be rocked when they are under threat. A loved one gets cancer. A friend dies. Do you see what I mean? If you value your life, and who doesn't, but if you value your life, then a bout of near death or a cancer diagnosis will take that all away. Right? Anxiety exposes what we value the most. But today, God is offering you something that is so precious. And He wants you to know that nothing in the world or the next world can ever take that away. And so if you cherish and value that, then you will have peace because you will never and can never lose it. And what is that thing? His love. Last year in our series on kind of big questions, I shared a story about good friends of my wife and I, Karen. Uh, their names are Dan and Teresa. Uh, they gave birth to baby Evelyn or Evie, who had a genetic defect and wasn't even supposed to survive birth. But she did survive, but she um, only lived for 77 days. 
And what they did, not knowing, I mean, basically she was in and out of hospital the whole time. But what they did, because they were followers of Jesus, was they kept praying and kept hoping, took every day at a time. And what they did was every single day of Evie's life, they would read a psalm. The psalms are in the center of the Bible. They're 150 songs of ancient Israel. And they, they bring so many people through thousands of years, so much peace. But they would read one psalm, starting from Psalm 1, for every day of Evie's life. And every day, read a psalm, just praying and hoping that Evie would live one extra day. They got to Psalm 63. And then suddenly something dawned on my friend Dan. Because in Psalm 63, it says this, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And it hit my friend Dan, because this whole time they were hoping and praying for more days, more life. And Psalm 63 reminded them that there's something even better than life. And it's the love of God. Because the love of God can raise the dead one day. And the love of God means that not even death can separate us. And so on baby Evelyn's uh, plaque, stone. Look at the confidence. She has eternal life because God never says, oops. We grieve with hope because Jesus has risen. They believe, and I believe, that Evelyn is now secure forever in the arms of Jesus and we will meet her again because God's love is better than even life. Let me finish with one more story. In the late 19th century, there was a missionary by the name of John G. Patton. He was a missionary in what is now modern-day Vanuatu, and you've been to Vanuatu, it's a pretty nice kind of place to visit. Back then, I mean, they still had the beaches and sand and stuff, but it was inhabited by cannibals, okay, people who ate people. And so this one day, he's chased by cannibals, and he spends a whole night hiding up a tree from the cannibals. Certain death to come. So you imagine what kind of state of mind he would be in hiding in that tree that night, running from cannibals. Surprisingly, this is what he wrote about his experience. I climbed into the tree and was left there alone in the bush. The hours I spent there live all before me as if it were but yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet, I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy His consoling fellowship. And then he turns the question on us. If thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone in the midnight in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Notice he says, not have you a feeling that will not fail you, because feelings are good, but feelings can't get you through. Cannibals trying to kill you. Have you a friend? See, that is what God is offering you today. He's inviting you to know peace through knowing Him personally and to know His love. And I want to ask you to respond right now. 
Now, for some of you, this is, as I said, this is just an entree. It's an invitation to find out more. This is the first time you've had contact with this, or perhaps for a long time, or perhaps as an adult. You might have been to church um, as a kid, but this is the first time you consider it as an adult. The best thing for you to do is decide to come back next week, come back the week after, right? And come back especially to fresh. That's the best thing you can do. For others, I want to give you an invitation to talk and pray in the midst of your crises. Are you in a particularly difficult, anxious spot? Dom is here. I am here. We would love to chat and pray with you. Pastor Marshall is there. Right? Today, we will pray with you. Because some of you, whether believers or not, may really need it. But there may be some of you here. And really today, you know, because God has been talking to you inside your heart, and you know, you feel the weightiness of that, God is actually speaking to you and inviting you today to really take that step to make His love your life and hope and your peace and joy both now and evermore. And if He is talking to you today and He's saying, no, today is the day, and you feel like this is the day you need to give your life to Jesus to receive His love, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Again, it's not going to be for everyone. But if this is for you, then I don't want you to miss this opportunity to take up the invitation. I'm going to show you a prayer. And uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. It's actually on the, in the inside of your handouts too. All it's saying is the kind of things you want to say to God if today you want to accept His invitation, become a follower of Jesus, and know His love personally, the kind of way that Jeff did a year ago. It says, Dear God, thank you that you love me. Then you're going to say that, you know, I haven't always loved him and put him first in my life. Ask God for forgiveness because that's the first thing to start a relationship with God is to say I'm sorry. But thank you that Jesus died for me so I can be forgiven. Thank you that he rose again so I can have eternal life and to say I want to trust in him to be the Lord of my life. Okay, the simple words, not magic. But some of you here may be ready to say that to Jesus today. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So if this is you, when I pray it in a moment, I'll do a sentence by sentence. You can just quietly echo it in your head to God. He'll hear you, right? You can pray along with me. Now, to make it easy for those who do want to pray along with me, I'm just going to ask everyone to kind of look down, look at your feet or, or close your eyes if you need to. That way no one's distracted, no one feels self-conscious. And if God is inviting you today to take up the invitation of His love and His peace, then will you pray with me quietly in your head? Let's do that. Dear God, thank you that you love me. I know that I haven't always loved you and put you first in my life. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus died for me so I can be forgiven. Thank you that he rose again so I can have eternal life. I trust in him and want him to be Lord of my life from now on. Amen. All right, you can lift your heads now. I'm going to get the band to come up. We're going to get ready to sing again. But um, let me just say, if you did pray that and take up God's invitation, um, then all those words that we read in Romans 8 are absolutely true for you. There is nothing in all creation, height, nor depth, angels, nor demons, present, the future, nor any powers can separate you from the love of God. He will see you through right to the end of your life and into eternity. And this, that is great news. Now, we're going to show you uh, after we sing this song, how you can get help to begin this journey, and we'd love to help you with that.
But let's sing first, and then I'll come back and chat you through that. <laughs> 